Welcome to the Stick and Mortar Show. Thanks for clicking. I'm John. I'm Zach. And today we're going to be talking about the business of humor. Well, that's not funny. It is funny. It is? I think so. I think it's really funny for a businessman to follow around a clown and you know tell him like, well, okay, well today you were 12% less funny than you were yesterday. Our projections are you're going to be 8% funnier tomorrow. Do you think most clowns have spreadsheets? I think that they have access to them. I don't think that they use them. Right. But... Funny comedy is a business, and I just think that it's kind of, um, you know, a weird mixture that um, being funny can make people money, but it's also something that, like any business, you have to make sacrifices, you have to take seriously, you have to make uh, hard choices sometimes, and sometimes it's not necessarily just the pure talent, it's where's the profit going to come from. Right. Well, it's hard work to be funny, isn't it, John? (laughs) It is hard work to be funny. It um, it's fun. It doesn't feel like work when it, when it's going well, but sometimes you fail at it. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen tons of things that are trying to be funny. You see it every day. People try to be funny and they they don't succeed. So, what drives someone to be funny? I think that at the core, people who uh, want to be funny are people who really just want to be liked. Because I think laughter is the most commonly uh, enjoyed action that that humans enjoy. I don't, you know, a lot of people say they like food. Some people are like just not big eaters. You know, some people like to play sports. Some people hate sports. Everybody likes to laugh. Mm-hmm. Even people who don't want to laugh publicly, they love laughing. There, there's no way that a human being just doesn't enjoy it because of physically what it does. So the drive to be funny is based from the drive to please people. You know, it's not like someone just wants to be funny and they're like, damn, the consequences uh, of whether you enjoy that. No, no. if you come and observe me being funny in some way mm-hmm. and then laugh, you're going to like that. Can people become more funny as they learn the craft? I think that people can't become more funny. I think people can find specific ways to get their funny to people better uh-huh. and that's the kind of business thing that you can look at it through can they develop a consistency yes. in the quality of their humor yes most definitely what's the process of that well so let's look at say stand-up comedians first so stand-up comedians what they'll do is they'll take a funny concept and what they're trying to do is they're trying to put it in the fewest amount of words possible so if you say to somebody I'm really having a problem with my with my spouse my wife is being obnoxious. I'm looking to get rid of her. I just don't want her around anymore. That's not as funny if you say, Scott up and say, it's like, take my wife, please. So if you compress that into a something that's brief and there's an irony or a reversal, that's the way that you can hone that into being more marketable and make money off something like that. That's what comedians do. So I'd like to apologize to our listeners that if we dissect humor... Mm-hmm. To the point where it dies, yeah. we owe you a deep apology. We'll send you a condolence card and we will. a wreath or something. So where do you think uh, people get their drive to be funny? You know, they wanna they probably wanna make they probably wanna make people laugh, they want to be liked. Where does that come from? Do you think some people have and some people don't? Yeah, I think definitely some people have had an earlier experience in their life making 
someone in their family laugh. Mm -hmm. Usually their parents or their brother or their sisters. Mm -hmm. And somebody that you wouldn't expect to laugh. Mm -hmm. And then eventually they ask you implicitly or explicitly to do it again. Yeah. And you find out that that is a great mode of acceptance. Do you remember the first time the early in your life where, that you can remember where you were funny, you got a laugh? I do. I was recording just like we are now on my mm -hmm. dad's old reel-to-reel tape recorder. Mm -hmm. And um, my mom used to listen to these call-in radio medical talk shows. A woman uh -huh. named Dr. Frida Kim. Okay. And I think she was a psychologist or a psychiatrist or something. And people would call her and say, you know, Dr. Kim, my child chews in a way that really annoys me. Is there something I can do to help him chew so it doesn't annoy me? Uh-huh. And or, you know, just ridiculous things. And my mom used to just listen to it as if it were the news. So when my dad bought a tape recorder for the family, my brother, my twin brother and I, we were five or six years old, we would do the Dr. Frida Kim show and make up just the most ridiculous puzzles <laughs> for Dr. Kim to solve and then come up with ridiculous answers. And not only were we giggling while we were recording, but when we played the recordings for people, they were laughing hysterically. So you did a parody of the show. We did a parody. So not only were you doing, you know, were you lampooning this show, right. but you were also showing something that your mom liked and you were creating something. Right. So, so I have to say, you know, there was some level of hostility in that humor. Sure. And um, most humor that I generate mm -hmm. comes from that hostile place. I think a lot of good humor comes from uh, an impression, where a like a different representation of something uh -huh. that deserves to be parody, that deserves satire. Uh, I think that there is probably that initial hostile right. thing, but the act of parody is usually a compliment, but it's more for, I think the positivity in it is for the people who are on the edge, right. who might be like leaning towards the side. They're like, no, don't you see how ridiculous this is? Right. And they might be able to bring some people back into sanity. I grew up in a household, and even my neighbors next to me, the Goodmans, who were always trying to outdo each other in humor. And, mm -hmm. you know, many times it took the form of referencing something in popular culture or doing a very silly pun or making fun of somebody at school or in the family. And, um, you know, being in a Jewish household, you know, we were exposed to humor on a daily basis. Where Now they say most adults laugh 15 times a day. Well, yeah. I'm sure the adults in our neighborhood laughed at least two or 300 times a day. <laughs> You know, uh, I don't remember many funny people in my youth that were actually there. All the people I remember as, like, comedic influences on me were on television or in movies. Mm -hmm. um, I, When I was a little kid, I loved Saturday Night Live so much. I thought Chris Farley was the funniest person I'd ever seen. And all I would do is at school, whatever Chris Farley did on Saturday Night Live, I would do it at school. Always. Right. All week I would do it. And people... I think I was maybe in sixth grade. I remember being in a talent show and not ha not planning on doing anything uh, funny. And all the kids in the audience, hundreds of kids, were chanting, Hard attack! Hard attack! Because they loved my impression of Chris Farley having a, like faking a heart attack. And all they would do is I would do the thing where he would go, oh! and then he'd beat on his chest as hard <laughs> as he possibly could. 
We love the uh, super fans, the Chicago yeah. Bears. And we just loved to make fun of that in like when I was, you know, in the early 90s. That I thought that was the funniest thing. And so I would just copy these comedians 100% as close as I possibly could. I would just do exactly what they were doing. Right. And I didn't have anybody like funny in my family. I mean, people in my family are kind of funny, but no, no one real life influenced me. So I'm the uh, millennial generation, I guess. Where I Did you always want to do comedy? Uh, yes. I don't remember being a cognizant human being uh-huh. and not wanting to make people laugh through a performance. Professional well, way. we all know that there are a lot of people who make money being funny. In many yeah. ways, either writing or performing or distributing funny. Yeah. But um, how, how do you make money in the... There's 2015 lot, being funny. There's a lot of ways that people can make money being funny. Um, so the most obvious is being like a stand-up comedian, where it's just pretty much you are coming up with funny things to say, and it's all you. You don't rely on anyone else. Uh, there's also something that's really popular now is uh, improvisers, but almost none of them make money. <laughs> that's a huge misconception. What does that mean? So an improviser is somebody who has no idea necessarily what they're going to be doing. But like Second City made this popular where it's a business where you can hire improvisers to come into your office and then they'll play improv games with you. There was a TV show called Whose Line Is It Anyway, which was really popular for a while, where these people were just comedic actors, but they were also improvisers where they could play these games. And there's a few theaters all over the country where they hire these improvisers to... Uh, come up with scenes and they're funny but that's really very close to sketch comedy which is what Second City does Um, and realistically there's only a few dozen people who do that professionally what they usually do is they become actors Mm -hmm. and they they act in films or television and you know wacky comedies or there's tons of sitcoms that need actors and there's for maybe a few hundred of them that are working. There's, you know, a hundred thousand to a million that want to do that. That's right. And so it's a really, really tough thing because for every thousand people that want to do it, there's one person that gets So what's the intangible that brings somebody to the top and leaves everybody to drop? I think that it's just like sort of in baseball is uh, the percentage of how often can you make contact in swinging. Because, you know, you might be able to hit uh, a home run, in comedy, you might be able to say one funny joke, and boy, does it get a huge laugh. But can you get a laugh a third of the time that you're up there? Can you get a laugh a half of the time? Uh, comedians will do half-hour specials, and if you look back at that tape, you know every ten seconds they're getting some sort of laugh. Yeah. And there are funny people who can go up and tell five to ten funny jokes, and that's like five minutes. Right. And so there's a lot of people who try, and they just can't do it numerically with a huge volume. If I am a funny person, who's going to hire me? Where am I going to work? Well, if you're just a good personality, you could be a, a good waiter. <laughs> you know, uh, you could be a good salesman. They really need funny people to be, to have, to get clients to like them. Uh, but if you're just a funny person now, you can go on YouTube and make a funny video, and who knows, maybe it will be successful. You know, there's tons of stuff where people aren't being funny on YouTube, but usually when people are being honest, 
and it makes them laugh, mm-hmm. there's someone else there who, who someone else in the world is going to find it funny. It just might not be enough that you can make money purely on that. Yeah. It seems to me, and you and I have both listened to the Terry Gross interviews of some uh-huh. terrific comedic personalities. It seems to me that comedy from when I was a boy, which was like Jerry Lewis and Henny Youngman and Buddy Hackett, mm-hmm. either doing physical humor, mm-hmm. you know, making fun of people's frailties or clumsiness, yeah, was very funny and or just joke after joke, rapid fire jokes. But now when I listen to comedy on either satellite radio or on HBO specials, people are just telling about stuff that shit that just doesn't make sense in their life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's always a good They're either self-depreciating, yeah. you know, saying how pathetic they are or uh-huh. how pathetic the people are around them mm-hmm. or how stupid or they are or how stupid the people around them are and, or things that just are perplexing in their lives. Yeah, I think stand-up comedy has to be interesting uh-huh. in some way. It has to be something that a lot of people can relate to. And... It's usually a good way for the audience to relate to them if they're uh, if they're there's uh, just a human being. Yeah, you know if a comic is like, oh, it's really it's interesting of uh, how much money I have and I'm a millionaire and I live in a huge mansion now. The audience is just like, well, you know what? Forget you. This is bullshit because I paid a hundred dollars to come see you do comedy and now all I'm thinking about is where my money is going in your pocket. Uh, so I think that. Uh, like self-deprecating humor is something that will unite the most famous, you know, Groucho Marx at his height was such a huge success and a millionaire. And even till the day he died, he was still making fun of himself. Um, it there's an interview I saw where they were relating to Groucho Marx, and he's like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm getting honored by I'm like receiving a. Uh, a Kennedy Center honor. I'm getting knighted by the Queen of England. I'm getting paid a hundred thousand dollars to go give a five minute speech, and uh, I'm gonna go get like a special meal cooked for me. He's like, and I would trade all of that for one erection. <laughs> and it's just like that kind of like common man uh, aspect to this like huge behemoth of comedy. Uh, that's what uh, creates uh, something funny, and you can relate to him. You like him, you know? Right. I think. There's one personality that changed comedy forever, and I think that's Sam Kinison. Oh yeah, and uh, he was—he's influential. He's very influential, and if you ask comedians who influenced them, mm-hmm. you know, in those Terry Gross tapes, almost everyone said Sam Kinison was an influence yeah. on them. He was because he was one of the first comics to like really be successful with pure anger. Yeah, you know, some other ones had it, like Richard Pryor and. Um, Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce and uh, George Carlin, they had this anger, but they were really kind of respectful in some ways of how they were just introducing this. Sam Kinison was pure rage. I mean, he he really hated things. And he just made that funny. It's, you know, a lot of times I'm furious and it's not funny. I think it's kind of funny how mad I am, but uh, a lot of people just don't get it. So Sam Kinison was probably... uh, a huge influence on, on uh, comics that were got popular in maybe the 90s and 2000s. Mm-hmm. So how do you think comedy has changed just in the last five years? 
Uh, well, so I think now probably the way that people get really to be famous doing comedy is through YouTube. Uh, there's this really like hot comedian right now, Hannibal Burris. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he had this YouTube video where he was making fun of Bill Cosby. And so he was just had this whole thing. He's like, if you Google Bill Cosby rape, it's amazing how many things come up. And that was just this sort of throwaway bit he was doing. It wasn't a big part of his act. But that became a YouTube sensation. And then people were looking into Hannibal Burris as like a comedian. Also, he's been on the Louis C.K. show and he's had some other uh, small successes, but like it's kind of a YouTube of how people learned his name. And there are all these people on YouTube that aren't real comedians. They're just high school kids that are doing silly things in their backyard. And sometimes those will get a million views or more. Right. So I think so like, distribution, yeah. the egalitarianism or the openness of distribution has changed comedy. Oh, definitely. You yeah. don't have sort of keepers of comedy anymore. No. Uh, you know, for a while, if you're a successful stand-up comic or a successful like comedian actor, you got to be at your height by getting your own sitcom. And uh, I think a lot of people found out who Jerry Seinfeld was by watching by watching yeah. Seinfeld. They hadn't necessarily seen him do stand-up. Uh, nowadays, you know, getting your own sitcom as a stand-up comic is like is can be a kiss of death. Right. It can ruin your career. There's this guy who I know who um, has, uh, he was on Saturday Night Live and he's done work in Chicago and uh, his sister was here for a while and she writes for Saturday Night Live. Uh, he had the show Mulaney. I don't know if you've seen it on Fox but it's a very kind of like 90s style sitcom and he said he wanted to do a 90s style sitcom because that's what he grew up watching but it's him he does some stand-up comedy for an audience, and then it's like him on a set with a laugh track and like a three-camera type system. And a lot of people hate it, really hate it. And I really do think that that style of comedy is dead. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like now there's yeah, these new museum me- piece yeah. now. You have to find these new mediums now to for it to be a huge success. Like like podcasting. Like podcasting, yeah. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure we're going to be a huge success here at Stick and Mortar. Or a hundred years from now, they'll look back on us and they'll say like, oh, here's an interesting thing. They were trying to do a podcast. And someone in the museum will be like, what's a podcast? We could put it in a time capsule. We could. And say, don't listen to this for a hundred years. <laughs> we'll put an MP3 player in the time capsule. <laughs> right. By then, it'll be like an MP150. Mm-hmm. So. Or it'll be some sort of like uh, Greek numeral. MP pi. <laughs> That's right, MPI. Mm-hmm. So there's other ways now of how comedy and business are bleeding together. And I saw this just the other night. There's this popular TV show called Portlandia. Have you heard of it? Sure. So Portlandia is a great uh, medium for comedy because they're kind of blending a little bit of improv. They do a little bit of that. It's sketch comedy, uh, but it also tells some really interesting stories. And the other night I was watching it, and they said, Tonight, Portlandia is brought to you by Subaru. I was like, okay, that's just normal sponsorship. That's how companies attach money, and that's how county makes business uh, makes money, by selling itself for advertising. And then what they did is they did a exact copy of a Portlandia sketch, but it was a Subaru commercial. So Subaru saw Portlandia 
the style in which that they do a sketch, they looked at the editing, they looked at the shots, they looked at the sound effects and the content, and they made a Subaru commercial exactly in that style. And that was something that I'd never really seen before, where they've done something 100% copying the comedic content for advertising. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so does like, that scare you in any way? It does. It actually does scare me. Because uh, I remember in the 90s, so like Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld would do American Express commercials. Uh, but they didn't show him on the set of Seinfeld talking to George there in the coffee shop. He didn't pull out his American Express card and say, like, I'm going to pay for this coffee with American Express. Right. So to me, it was kind of a, a scary bastardization of the comedy that Paul yeah. Andy There was, was a making. point in um, children's television, Saturday morning where they had to separate the advertising from the content because, mm-hmm. you know, the characters were eating Frosted Flakes yeah. as a method of advertising for us. Uh-huh. You know, product placement. Product placement, yeah. So this is product placement on steroids. It is. So, I mean, I guess it's an old form of uh, making, you know, the, the business yeah. of humor. Even but... in old-time radio, you know, they used to... Uh, Say, while I'm enjoying my Chesterfield, George, why don't you tell us about our next act? Yeah. I mean, I like the old-timey-ness of, you know, tonight's comedy show is brought to you by Subaru Automobiles. Subaru Automobiles, support your comedy listening. And I think that's totally fine. Yeah. They're like, this this piece of entertainment is brought to you by this company. If you like entertainment... Uh, we're putting this uh, product in your brain. So now you're going to associate funniness with this product. However they would do that, I think that's fine. I think it's kind of just um, weird to not uh, separate them after they've been, you know, like ads and yeah. content had been uh, distinguished. It seems for like so an while. ethical yeah. breach. Uh, it is a little bit. I don't blame Portlandia. I don't think like they've lost their integrity. I don't think that they were behind it. I think that the advertisers were like, we like Portlandia, and so do hip young people. Let's copy it 100%. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I've seen uh, there's this popular YouTube series, um, Freddie W., and he makes these overblown action sequences. He'll make these... He did um, Video Game High School. Have you heard of this? No. Video Game High School is a YouTube sensation. It gets like 10 million views. It's just like what would what would happen if there was a Video Game High School. So it's just so much special effects. But also it's just like this kind of dorky Asian guy is always the hero. Anyway, so uh, there was this movie that came out a few years ago called Cowboys and Aliens. And they contacted him and they were like, we want you to do a Cowboys and Aliens YouTube video. And so he made a Cowboys and Aliens YouTube video where it's him like this dorky Asian guy in all of the special effects like um, he's getting beaten up by cowboys but then he has this like alien ray gun and uh, John Favreau the director of Cowboys and Aliens had a cameo in the video and it was pretty much like the product of a movie they're like I contacted him like we want you to do your content but we want you to be pretty much selling our movie right so it's just a like it's weird with this new media how the, the, the crossovers of um, comedy business now are are pretty much the same. We talked about this um, when we were looking at the Super Bowl. Sometimes the funny Super Bowl commercials are uh, the most popular thing of the whole of advertising all year. Right. right. Well, this story has 
the ending of the story has not been written. It'll be no. fun to watch what happens as comedy and business merge, yeah. and as people find new outlets for their humor uh-huh. and find ways to make money being funny. Yeah, I think my vision of the future is uh, is paper laugh. Paper laugh. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, like if you so <laughs> if something's funny, you know, you send it a dollar. All content, all funny content is free. If, uh, if you know, or maybe there's a video where it's like, oh, well, you laughed three times, so you owe us 30 cents. Very good. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't fine-tuned this technology yet. I'm pretty sure it's your million-dollar idea, John, except it's going to cost you a million instead of bring you a million. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm not into that so much then. Well, this has been our show on the business of humor. Mm-hmm. I'm Zach. I'm John. Thanks for listening to the Shtick and Mortar Show. Please check out our website at shtickandmortar.com or email us at shtickandmortar at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing your comments. We hope you liked our show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.